Good morning, everyone. I'm John Schmidt, the senior pastor here at Centerpoint. And today we're wrapping up our series entitled Storm Stories. Uh, we've looked at four different stories in the Bible that involve storms and what kind of lessons we can learn from them. And today we've got a great story where uh, the disciple, one of Jesus' disciples, Peter, learned a valuable lesson about his faith. Well, all the disciples did, but especially Peter. And today you and I are going to learn uh, some lessons from this story as well. I want to have a word of prayer, and we're going to jump right in. Would you pray with me, please? Lord, I thank you for all the folks who are joining us on the internet. I thank you for the opportunity we have to look at the Bible together. And Father, I thank you that you guide us in all matters of faith and practice when we study your word. How we practice our faith in the midst of storms is terribly important. And today, Lord, I pray that you'll teach us something about how to look at storms and how to step out in faith. So Lord, I pray that you'll speak and move me out of the way. Teach us what you want us to know uh, from this wonderful lesson. In the name of Christ, I pray. Amen. Well, this morning, as I said, we're going to look at a storm story, but I, I want us even just before that, let me just kind of set the stage here of how important it is or why we went through this whole series is that we've been looking at storms so we can gain a better perspective because sometimes we're in the middle of a storm. It's just frightening. I mean, lightning could be flashing, the uh, wind could be blowing other things, and we're just terrified. But are there lessons we can learn about, about God and about ourselves? And today's no exception. In the midst of a storm, God always wants us to get his perspective. That's why we come to the Bible in the first place, to get God's perspective. I'll never forget when I was in uh, college, I had a physics professor who would give these hour-long exams. He gave a whole bunch of them during the course of a semester. At the end of every exam, he knew his exams were hard and they would really stress you, but he always give you a chance to earn some bonus points, so he'd always have a, a bonus question at the end. And my goodness, I never had time for that. I was always just trying to finish the regular exam. And and the professor and I knew each other, and he came up to me after one of these exams. He said, John, why don't you ever try the bonus problem? You can earn some extra points. I went, he goes, you seem to know the material. I got, I, I know the material, but not as fast as you want me to put this down on paper. I don't have time for that. He goes, well, this next one, I think, you know, it won't be as hard as some of the others. I think you'll have time. Why don't you try it? Just see if you can do it. So sure enough, I got finished with the exam. I had a few minutes left. So there was a, the last question was the bonus exam. So I filled it all out. And he had a little space at the end of the page, and I took the whole back side of the exam and wrote out all these formulas and circled my answer, and I was really proud because I had solved the problem. Well, the next day when they posted the scores, um, there were all the scores there, and next to my name it said, C. Professor, and I went, he's proud of me. Okay, you know, <laughs> so just to tell you how optimistic I was, okay, man, so I went to go see him, and I knock on the door, and I go, hey, you wanted to see me? He goes, yeah, you tried the bonus problem, and I go, yeah, I mean, did I do okay in the exam? Oh, you did great, but you tried the bonus problem. I went, yeah, and he goes, Good, I want to see your solution. So I was thinking, wow, I must have really worked this better than everybody else in the class. So he has a chalkboard in his office, and I'm writing the whole thing out, just what I'd written on the back. I go, I did this and this and this. And I go, so I get the bonus points? He goes, no. I mean, you got it completely wrong. I just wanted to see how your mind worked, okay? I've never, I mean, no one's ever gotten it that wrong. And then he showed me this one, I'd written this whole page of formulas, and he showed me this one little formula. All you do is plug it into this. I went, oh. And then he went, do it again, because this is amazing, okay? <laughs> well, if you understand that, then you can understand how Jesus must have looked at his disciples. Well, every time he would give them a problem, they would think, uh, you can't solve it. You can't do it. Before we get into this storm, you need to know that just right before they get in the boat where they're going to face this storm, Jesus has just done an incredible miracle. 5,000 people have followed uh, 5,000 men and their families, so it could have been 15,000 people maybe, have followed Jesus. And 
Jesus doesn't want to send them home hungry, so he tells the disciples to feed them. Well, they don't have any food, and they don't have nearly enough money. They go, Jesus, this is crazy. crazy. We can't feed these people. It would take a small fortune. And Jesus says, well, show me what you have. And they bring up a little boy's lunch. And he says, this is enough. And he, pr- he gives thanks to God and breaks the bread and the fish, and he keeps multiplying it till all these people are fed, and each of the disciples has a huge basket full of food left over. Just as an important reminder that problems that are too big for you are no problem for me. And then after that, he sends them in a boat to get across the other side of the sea. That's the context for this story. Now go to point one on your outline. After Jesus sent his disciples away in a boat one evening, they were caught in a fierce windstorm. Jesus insisted that his disciples get back into the boat and cross to the other side of the lake. This is just after he's done this amazing miracle and they've seen it. While he sent the people home. After sending them home, he went up into the hills by himself to pray. And night fell while he was there alone. Meanwhile, the disciples were in trouble far away from land for a strong wind had risen and they were fighting heavy waves. And so you can picture them rowing against the waves. Peter and others were fishermen. They'd been in storms before and they were working their tails off just trying to get where Jesus had told them to go. So let me make one life application really clear here. And this is something I've said every week in this lesson because we think wrongly about this all too often. And that's this. Sometimes we will face storms while we are doing God's will. A couple of weeks ago, we went over the story of Jonah, where Jonah was turned around. He was disobeying God's will, and God used a storm to turn him around. Well, that's not always the case, and that's why each of these storms teaches us something different. And if you miss the others in the series, get online and watch them, and you'll see that God uses storms for a whole bunch of different purposes. But, and sometimes we'd like to just blame everything on, well, the reason that person's going through trouble is they're obviously out of God's will. Well, the disciples were in trouble here. It says they were in trouble, but they weren't in trouble because they were doing something wrong. It didn't say after Jesus fed the 5,000 men and all their families, the disciples all went and got drunk. That's not what it says. It says the disciples got in a boat and did exactly what Jesus said, and they still found themselves in a difficult storm. Jesus said this, here on earth, you will have many trials and sorrows, many, but take heart because I have overcome the world. To be a Christian doesn't mean you and I will never have problems in our lives. As you will see as we go through this, it just means that Jesus goes with us through the problems. If it's good news that Jesus goes with us, would you say amen? Amen. Well, you're about to see how he interacts with them here. He wanted to remind them of this. Jesus is the son of God. He did know he was going to do a miracle with the bread and the fish. He did know that the he did know the future. He did know the disciples would go into a storm. And he sent them anyway. But there was an important lesson for them to learn. Here's one that you and I can see right off the bat because James explains this for us. God can use storms to strengthen our endurance. This is the next life application. God can use storms to strengthen our endurance. James wrote, Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. Please circle great joy. That's not what I think first when I think of trouble. Great joy. I don't think great joy. I think, oh no. For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow. For when your endurance is fully developed, you'll be perfect and complete, needing nothing. Remember, Jesus said you're going to go through many trials. Trials teach us endurance. They make our faith strong. I'd love to say I can get physically strong by sitting on the couch eating chips. Wouldn't you? That would be great. I would love to say I can grow in patience but never stand in line. 
I would love it. I would love to say I'm a great parent, if I, but I've never had to raise kids. Well, the only way you're going to become a great parent is to actually parent. The only way that you're ever going to become strong physically is if you push against the resistance and it grows. The only way you and I are going to go strong in faith and develop endurance is to go through difficulty. So we like to compartmentalize everything and and say, well, if there's a God in heaven, then how come I have to go through hard times? Because there's nothing good that could come from hard times. And that's where we make the mistake. Yeah, there is. Yeah, there is. There's endurance. And endurance gives us hope and strength of character. And we know it. And James reminds us of this. The disciples are about to learn an important understanding of God. Their faith is going to grow. You'll see this as the story goes on when Jesus put them in the boat. And that brings us to point two. The disciples have been out there for a long time, about eight hours, because about three o'clock in the morning, let's say they got in the boat at seven at sundown, and they're starting to cross the lake. It wasn't that far. And now it's three o'clock in the morning, and they're not making hardly any progress. They're out in the middle of the lake, and they are rowing like crazy. About three o'clock in the morning, Jesus came toward them walking on the water. And when the disciples saw him walking on the water, they were terrified. In their fear, they cried out, it's a ghost. But Jesus spoke to them at once. Don't be afraid, he said. Take courage. I am here. Here's a life application. God is with us in the midst of storms. Or God is watching over us in the midst of storms. Both are true. In Mark's account of the same story, in Mark 6, 48, it says, Jesus saw they were in serious trouble. So Jesus is up on the mountainside praying. He sees the disciples in the boat. He's watching them the whole time, and he's praying for them. In your margin, if you could write this, this is from your discussion group questions too, Romans 8.34, Romans 8.34 right in there, it says that Jesus is seated at the right hand of God the Father interceding for you and me right now. I mean, I hope you understand this. When Jesus came walking on the water to his disciples, the disciples were terrified because they didn't expect Jesus to show up. They didn't expect him to show up. They left Jesus on the shore. Now, if you were with us for the storm stories, you'd go, well, John, but wasn't there another story like this? Oh, yeah. In Matthew 8, there'd been this whole business where Jesus had calmed a storm. He'd been asleep in the boat. A storm came up. They woke him up and said, don't you care if we're going to drown? And Jesus stood up and calmed the wind and the waves. And they said, who is this guy? So they'd seen him calm a storm before, but this time he's not in the boat. So he can't help us. I mean, if he's here, he could help us, but he's not here. And if you go, wow, they had a really small understanding of Jesus. Yeah, well, it was about to grow. They thought if Jesus was on the other side, he wouldn't know on the other side of the lake, he wouldn't know what was going on in their boat. They'd have to solve this all on their own. And yet Mark says, no, Jesus is up on the mountainside watching them the whole time. And it says that um, also that about three o'clock in the morning, Jesus came toward them walking on the water. He came walking out to them to rescue them because they were going to do this all on their own. You know, you and I can do the same thing I mean, we do this. We say, oh man, I went to worship today. It was awesome. I was singing. I even had chill bumps. It was great. But then come Tuesday and there's a financial concern. 
Come Wednesday and there's a family problem. Come Thursday and I got issues at work. Oh, I don't know what to do. God's nowhere to be found. I mean, we're all about Jesus on Sunday, but we leave him here, wherever we're worshiping. And then we go out in the big bad world and I wish Jesus was here to help us. At least we act that way. Well, this story is to remind us that God is always with us and he's always watching over us. And Jesus was trying to teach his disciples this. He had just shown them with the feeding the 5,000. He told them, guys, your perspective is completely wrong. You didn't think I could feed the 5,000 plus their families. Remember, you each had a basket of food left over. Why do you think that power stops when you get in the boat? Y'all, God loves you and me. He wants to help us with our problems, but so many times we never even ask him for help. We don't pray about our finances. We don't. We don't pray for problems when they come up. Uh, A few years ago, I was doing an outdoor wedding. 20 minutes before the wedding was going to start, this horrible thunderstorm came over. It was a summertime wedding, and sirens went off, tornado sirens. Everybody runs inside a shelter at the place where we're going to have this and lightning, wind, rain. I mean, they had all the chairs set up. There's beautiful arbor and flowers all blown to thunder. I mean, the chairs were floating in water. And then the power went off in the building where we all were. It was the middle of summer, and it was hot, and everybody was sweating, and the cake was melting, and the bride was crying. This was not going well, okay? And so uh, I grabbed the groom and his groomsman. I said, come outside. We're all going to have a word of prayer. We're going to pray the power comes on so at least we can get some air conditioning in here because it was obvious we're going to have to have this inside. And um, so we circle up, and these were some of his friends, fraternity brothers and other things, and, you know, they're all looking at me going, what's about to happen here? I've never, they've never done this before. You know, this, they didn't come for a prayer meeting, okay? Anyway, so we're standing there, and we're praying, and the power come on, that God would bless the people working on the uh, the, from the power company and other things that so they get the power restored so we get some air conditioning and, and this wedding could still happen that the day would be saved here. And we prayed about this. Well, we finished praying. It was like two minutes later, the power comes on. And I remember the, one of the grooms around me goes, how did you do that? And I go, oh man, you have no idea. Don't cross me. No, I didn't say that at all. I did not. No, no, that would be terrible. Uh, no, I just... I just said, well, God answered prayer. Do you know when they were there standing around praying about this, they're sitting there going, why are we doing this? I mean, you know what? The disciples were afraid. They didn't expect Jesus to show up. What would happen if you and I actually prayed about that relationship at work that we're so worried about? What would happen if you and I prayed about that financial situation where we don't know what to do? What if you and I surrendered our marriage when you said, she'll never change. He'll never change. Can I remind you that I could introduce to you dozens of people who saw God change their spouses when they finally prayed about it? Will we pray? Disciples weren't calling out for Jesus. Jesus might be able to multiply bread on the shore, but what good is he out in the middle of a storm? Until Jesus walks out to him. Whoa, what are you doing here? Well, I'm kind of Lord of heaven and earth. You know, in Mark's account, I didn't even put this in there, Mark 6.48, it says he was walking and about to pass them by. Think of that. Oh, you guys are doing fine on your own, I guess. He was about to pass them by. 
And they finally cried out to him, Oh, you need me now? Okay. Now think of this. And that's the way we treat Jesus. Put him in a box, Sundays only, whole lot of things that are off limits. He can't help me with my grief. He can't help me with my tongue. He can't help me with my temper. Only this, only Bible lessons. Really? And the disciples are about to get a whole new appreciation for him. By the way, this isn't just an isolated theme. This is all about all through Scripture. Here's Psalm 34, 18. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted. He rescues those who are crushed in spirit. The righteous person faces many troubles, but the Lord comes to his rescue each time. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. I mean, you know, we started out with this test thing here where I was taking this physics test. Well, every time I took one of those physics tests, two people learned something from that. The professor learned how much I understood, and I learned how much I understood. So what if God puts us through some trying situations? He knows already where we are, but I don't. I mean, a lot of times I think my faith is stronger than it is. The disciples had just seen this mighty miracle. They, all had, they each had a basket of food left over. They're each holding one. I can do things that you said were impossible. Right? Right. Got it? Got it. Get in the boat. You didn't learn anything. And now they had to learn it all over again. That's the way we are. What if God can do things in your life that you and I don't even allow him to be involved in because we say, well, it's impossible. We never even pray about it. It's impossible. Possible. Nope. Don't want to hear about it. So we don't pray. We just worry. Oh, and we post it on Facebook. That always helps. Okay, that's good. Yeah. Okay. So point three. What was interesting out of all this, Peter actually responded the best out of all the disciples. Peter asked Jesus to let him walk on the water too. So Jesus is standing outside the boat. There's still the storm going on, the waves, wind, all this stuff. And Jesus is standing at a distance from the boat here. And he's saying, it's okay, guys, it's me. And Peter does something interesting. Then Peter called to him. And he said, Lord, if it's really you, then tell me to come to you walking on the water. Yes, come. Come on, Peter, Jesus said. So Peter went over the side of the boat and walked on the water toward Jesus. But when he saw the strong wind and the waves, he was terrified and began to sink. Save me, Lord, he shouted. And Jesus immediately reached out and grabbed him. You have so little faith, Jesus said. Why did you doubt me? Here's a life application. Our faith is never strengthened without struggle or risk. And kudos to Peter. Took the risk. Did Peter look at it this way? Yeah, this is Peter himself reflecting on the fact that we go through struggles in our life. This is Peter himself about 20 years later. So be truly, go, be truly glad there is, a, there is wonderful joy ahead, even though you have to endure many trials for a little while. This is the same guy who got out of the boat, the same guy who'd been rowing his back sore for nine hours. This is the same guy who saw Jesus walking on the water saying, be truly glad there's wonderful joy ahead, even though you have to endure many trials for a little while. These trials will show that your faith is genuine. When you take the test, you'll know how you do. 
These trials will show that your faith is genuine. It's being tested as fire tests and purifies gold, though your faith is far more precious than mere gold. So when your faith remains strong through many trials, it'll bring you much praise and glory and honor on the day when Jesus Christ is revealed to the whole world. Wow. I mean, again, what if we had this perspective? Now think of this. Jesus was growing his disciples up. He was showing them his power. They'd seen him do miracle after miracle. They'd already seen him once calm a storm when he was in the boat. Now let's see how they handle it when he's not in the boat. When my boys turned 15, they had their driver's permit. And my wife wanted nothing to do with teaching them how to drive, so she delegated that to me, okay? So here was my strategy. I get a free chauffeur for a year, and I loved it. So everywhere I wanted to go, I had them drive. And sometimes, if it was storming outside or it was late at night and it's pouring down rain, get in the car, we're driving. Well, why are we going now? Because it's pouring down rain and it's dark outside. And the first time that you encounter this, I don't want that to be when I'm not in the car. I want it to be while I'm in the car watching over you to help you. We would stop and change a flat tire. We'd change a perfectly good tire, but we'd pretend we had a flat. I didn't go put a knife in it or anything. Okay. Anyway, we would change a perfectly good tire, but we'd stop and change a tire. Why? Because I want them to know how to change a tire while I'm with them, watching over them. And you go, well, that's smart, John. I remember one of them, we made a late night run to Krispy Kreme. It's like, we're going to Krispy Kreme now? Why? Well, the hot donut light's on. That's why. And I want a hot donut. <laughs> and if you drive, you'll get one too. But it makes sense, doesn't it? And we would drive through Birmingham. We'd drive up to Birmingham and go drive in some more traffic that we're not used to. We'd drive up to Atlanta and drive through traffic. I don't want them to face Atlanta traffic the first time on their own. I want them to do this when their father is watching over them. Now, if I know this much, God himself doesn't know this much. Jesus was trying to get his disciples ready. It's not going to be that many months till he dies on the cross, is buried in the tomb, is risen from the dead, ascends to heaven, sends the Holy Spirit to them, but they're going to have to depend on him and call on him in all sorts of circumstances when he's not physically in the boat with them anymore. He wants to see how they're going to handle it. Are you going to cry out to me or do this on your own? What's it going to be? And he's showing them that even when they're in the midst of a crisis and they have limited him, he's not limited by that and he's watching over them and he cares more for them than they're willing to trust him about. Well, Peter was the one who got a little bit of the hang of this and started out walking, but here's a note. When Peter took his eyes off of Jesus and focused on his circumstances, that's when he started to sink. Peter actually goes, okay, all right, so you're trying to teach us a lesson here. All right, well, then let me get out of the boat and come to you. So he's walking on the water to Jesus. And everything was fine until he started staring at his circumstances. The same thing can happen to us again. We start out trusting God. We're going to lead a connect group, or we're going to be involved in a ministry, or we're going to go on a mission trip, or we're going to do these things. We step out in faith, and then all of a sudden, wow, this is a lot harder than I thought. And these people are a lot more needy than I thought. This is going to take more time than I thought. And we start looking at all our circumstances, not praying about it. We just want to quit. Glub, glub, glub. We're sinking in despair. 
Paul wrote to the Colossians about this. Since you have been raised to new life with Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. Think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth. For you died to your life and your real life, you died to this life and your real life is hidden with Christ and God. Keep your eyes on Jesus. And we don't. That's human nature. And Peter just acted it out. But note, there's two things Peter did right. First of all, he got out of the boat. Oh, Peter and his lack of faith. You can hear the other disciples, Oh, Peter, where'd it go? You were sinking out there. Well, you didn't even get out of, the do- out of the boat. At least that's the way my family would have dealt with it. Okay. Peter at least got out of the boat. He took the risk. He realized Jesus was trying to teach him something. Well, if you're going to teach me something, then go ahead. Teach me something. I'm coming out. Come on, Peter. I mean, you know what faith is? Faith is a consistent trust in Jesus to accomplish what he calls us to do. A consistent faith in Jesus. If he says, come to me in the middle of a storm, he'll see me through. When Peter started out that way, but then he started going, oh, he can't see me through. I mean, Peter knew about storms and how dangerous it was to be out in the open water. And he left the only security he had. What if God was calling you and me to step out of the boat, to leave our security and trust only him because he's called you to something? Yeah, this story takes on new meaning then. Second thing that Peter did right was this. When he began to sink, he called out to Jesus. He took his eyes off of Jesus. He knew that was his mistake and instantly looked back at Jesus. Help me. And it says that Jesus grabbed him and said, why do you have so little faith? Peter again, reflecting a couple of decades later. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are attentive to their prayer. Peter said, even when I take my eyes off of him, he never takes his eyes off of me. If that's good news to you, would you say amen? Amen. The disciples were out in the water. They didn't think Jesus could help them. Jesus was watching and came out to them. Peter started walking, looked at the waves, started to sink, took his eyes off of Jesus. Jesus never took his eyes off of Peter. My friends, you've blown it. You've gone the wrong way. Cry out to him. This would be the worst time to keep going the wrong way. Peter did two things very, very right. Now, it's interesting, when Jesus got into the boat, the storm stopped. When they climbed back into the boat, the wind stopped, and the disciples worshipped him. You really are the Son of God, they exclaimed. Would you say that phrase with me, please? You really are the Son of God. One more time. You really are the Son of God. I mean, let that sink in on you, because sometimes we don't believe that either. We have very strict limitations. God cares about this, not this. God will answer this prayer, but not this one. I'm not even going to try. Really? I mean, the wind stopped. Lesson's over. I'm not just good for miracles on dry land. I'm good for miracles on the sea. And not just when I'm in the boat, when I'm not in the boat. You guys learn this. I'm not going to be with you that much longer. Me changing the tire. Hey, here's how you do it. I'm not going to always be with you in the car. Learn it. That's what Jesus is doing. And what if he's doing the same with each one of us? Trying to grow us up. And what if we looked at some of the trials we go through? Maybe with a family situation or a health concern or a job situation. And what if we looked at it and we went, Hey God, are you trying to teach me something? 
You mean there could be something good that would come out of this for me? Mm-hmm. Always. Peter said, be glad. James said, consider it joy. There's something in it for us if we're willing to listen. By the way, when the disciples said, you are the son of, really are the son of God, that was the first time in all of scripture they said that out loud. When Jesus had calmed the storm the other time, they said, who is this guy? This time they said, you really are the son of God. Their faith was growing because they'd been through the trials. Our faith will grow. We go through the trials. Talked to a woman this morning, lost her husband a few weeks ago. He passed away. I said, how are you doing? She had come to our eight o'clock service and she said, I'm so glad you talked about this today. She said, I'm just learning more about God every day. He's holding my hand as I go through this grief. Trials can help us grow. And what if God's saying, hey, I want you to think differently about things. Don't make it out. The only thing that could ever happen, if there's ever bad things happen in your life, God must be angry at me, getting even with me, or this is a terrible thing. You know, it shouldn't happen to people like me, like the disciples. Maybe God can teach us a lot and grow us up. Here's one thing you and I need to learn, that Jesus is stronger than any storms we face. Jesus is stronger than any storms we face. O Lord God of heaven's armies, where is there anyone as mighty as you, O Lord? You are entirely faithful. You rule the oceans. You subdue the storm-tossed waves. You scattered your enemies with your mighty arm. The heavens are yours. The earth is yours. Everything in the world is yours. You created it all. And if Jesus really is the Son of God, then he is able to rule the oceans. And that's why the storms stop. And he isn't limited by distance. And he doesn't have to be in the boat. He's watching over us right now. And it's a big theme. Blessed are you if you don't have to see him and you still believe anyway. Doubting Thomas had to learn all about that. And one final last life application. I've got to make this on the story. If you and I are following God's will, then the safest place may be in the middle of a storm. The safest place may be in the middle of a storm. See, because someone could argue this, if you're saying this, okay, Jesus is the son of God, right? Right. And he controls nature, right? Right. So his disciples are in a storm. Why didn't he just stop the storm and give them an easy passage? Or why didn't he just keep them on the shore in the first place if he knew the weather was going to get rough? Okay, and then send them out after the storm was passed. Wouldn't that be easier? Yeah, if Jesus was after our comfort and after our security, but he's after us growing and becoming more dependent on him. We're the ones who always want comfort and security. We think that's what it's all about. He goes, no, in this world you're going to have trouble. I want you to depend more on me. And see, here's the other thing that you need to know. Right when he got him into the boat, right before that, after he fed all these thousands of people, listen to what was going on. This is from John's gospel, John 6. After the people saw the miraculous sign, this was feeding all of them with fish and bread from a little boy's lunch that Jesus did, they began to say, surely this is the prophet, the one who Moses had predicted would come, who is to come into the world. Jesus, knowing they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to a mountain by himself. The crowd was going to try to make him a political ruler. Because they wanted free bread and fish anytime they wanted it. And if this guy can do miracles, he can get rid of the Romans. We want him to be our king, our political ruler right now. And Jesus said, oh, there's danger here. I got to get rid of this crowd. 
They're going to try to take me by force. I also got to get my disciples out of this because they're going to get their heads turned by all these people trying to make me king because the disciples were still growing in their understanding. We've just looked at this. Look at the danger here. In Luke 4, this is what the devil himself attempted with Jesus earlier. Then the devil took Jesus up and revealed to him all the kingdoms in the world in a moment of time. I'll give you the glory of all these kingdoms and authority over them, the devil said, because they're mine to give to anyone I please. I'll give it all to you if you'll worship me. And Jesus replied, no, the scriptures say you must worship the Lord your God and serve only him. The temptation of the devil was to make himself a political king. He has security and power and wealth. Jesus didn't come for those things. He came to buy, to pay the ransom for your sin and mine. And he didn't want his disciples' minds poisoned. Had they stayed with the crowd on the shore, they would have had, been in a far more dangerous position than out on the boat in the wind. You know, you and I could complain. We take a new job and it's difficult because we have a big learning curve and we have to do all these things. Oh, if I had just stayed at that other job, but I, I prayed about this and you know, this is all so difficult. Well, I actually know people who've prayed about things and there's an opportunity and then they don't take it. And then all of a sudden, six months later, the job that they hung on to, it's eliminated. And so then they have no job. And they go, oh, if I'd have just taken that new job. What if God's calling you to step out of the boat? What if God's calling you to take a risk? And what if it's kind of scary? God, I don't want to do that. I want to be safe. Well, if God's calling you to do something, the safest place may be in the middle of the rocky boat. And that's always something to consider. If God's calling you to do something, follow him. He'll teach you out of that. His will is always right. Even if it takes you to a scary place. God is preparing us. He was preparing the disciples. I know how to prepare my kids. Certainly God knows how to prepare his. God gives us tests. The professor gave me tests. The test showed me that I didn't know what I was doing on the bonus problem. God's tests a lot of times show me that I don't know what I'm doing when I say I trust in him either. Who even thinks the way you think, John? Would you pray with me, please? Lord, I pray that today you've challenged the way we think about storms. I pray that we will live in faith and walk in faith and be willing to step out of the boat. I pray that, Lord, when we go through hard times, we'd call on you and not leave you on the shore. I pray, Lord, we won't put you in a box and say you only care about Bible study and Sunday mornings and worship services. You care about our whole life, not just those parts. I pray, Lord, that we would uh, trust in you. And if you call us to step out, we'd realize the safest place is to walk right out in the middle of the waves. The safest place is to be on the boat, not hiding on shore. If God spoke to you about something today, and you know what he said to you, then say, God, I heard you. Give me courage so I can face the future unafraid. Oh God, I pray that you'd make us a lot more afraid of being out of your will than anything else. I pray that you'd remind us that you are truly the Son of God and there is no problem you cannot solve. I pray these things in the wonderful name of Jesus, the mighty name of Jesus, who calms the wind and the waves with just a word. In the name of this Jesus, whom Peter wrote about, whom Paul wrote about, whom James celebrated as the Son of God, that's the name we pray in today with great confidence that you hear us as a result.
Amen.